As we begin this morning, my prayer is that the power of Scripture would have that effect on all of us. That it's not my words, it's the Word of God living and breathing in us. Uh, I went to the dentist this week, and uh, it turns out that my flossing technique needs work. So, um, and so when my dentist said this to me, uh, because I have the habit of doing this every night, he pointed out that, you know, it was a little odd that, that I needed to scrape so much this week. I said, well, I guess I got two options, right? I can stop flossing, and he didn't think that was a good idea. Um, and so, or I said I could do it better, right? I've got the habit already. I can continue to work on, and, you know, I must have just slipped in my technique over the past six months, so I'm working on it. Let's do better at this flossing thing. And there's something there that we can learn as the church, right? We have a lot of habits that we already have, and uh, there is, I want to point out, something urgent about the work that we have to do as well. Indeed, I, I want to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians, um, and we're going to start actually at chapter 6, even though we were just in chapter 5, and I do encourage you to follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. There's an urgency and an importance to, to doing the best we can as the church. The urgency, I think, is seen right here in 2 Corinthians 6, the second part of verse 2. It's that very bottom part of the screen there. Paul writes, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Right? There's an urgency here that the work that we do as God's people demands our best not our busiest work. Do you hear that? The best work that we have, and we have good habits as the church of wanting to reach out and wanting to do things. We have good ministries, those kinds of things, and we always want to be in the business of doing our best at those, not just doing them. And the reason there's an urgency is you can see these two words. Let me decode them a little bit for you. It says salvation at the end, and by salvation, that's simply the idea of rescue that we heard this morning from Psalm 32, and it's rescue that's timely, right? It's rescue that occurs between the two advents of Jesus Christ, when Christ first came and then when Jesus returns. That's the open enrollment period, if you will. That's when we can grab on to the salvation that's being offered to us, and once Jesus Christ returns, those who have taken a hold of that continue on, and those who haven't, that period is closed. So the day of the, the, that salvation is now, and there's a time limit on taking a hold of that. That's what's being stated here. And then the issue of now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of actually becoming that which is acceptable to God is another way of saying that. Of transitioning from being the unsaved to being saved. And certainly there is assurance of our salvation when we've taken hold of that salvation, but the completeness of that salvation won't happen in this life. So there's a sense in which even though we're saved, we're still being saved in a sense. The fancy word is sanctification for that. That's the only time we'll use it this morning, but that's what's happening. And as God's people then, we're the people who are in the being saved category. We're saved and being made new in Jesus Christ by taking hold of that salvation. And there's an urgency to that, and there's a need for us to do the best to take that message to everyone else, that they would hear it in a timely manner and respond. So if we're in the being saved category, there are at least three things that this should do for us. One is this should, as we've talked about multiple times, 
align us with God's heart. That we know what God desires, and we know what God desires from us as those who are saved. The, the second thing it does is it, it should inspire us even more so to glorify God in all ways and in all we do. And the third thing that would fit with what we're saying this morning is it then sets the priorities of our mission together as God's people. That we could ask an important question this morning, and let's, this is what we'll address. How do we prioritize who we seek to save or who we seek to make disciples? We need to ask that kind of question constantly as we consider being reconcilers, as we're called to be those who are saved, who are taking that message out. If we're going to look at this passage a little bit deeper, we can see God's heart in this passage. If we go back to chapter 5, starting at verse 17, which we heard as our uh, affirmation of faith this morning. Um, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If we understand God's heart, and we can see it here, we should recognize first and foremost that God desires right relationship with his creation, specifically with humans, you and me. That's what God wants. That's God's heart. God is not, however, responsible for breaking that relationship. We are. We've broken it, we're complicit in that, and it continues to be broken around us all over the place, and we live in a system where those relationships are broken all the time. And we should recognize that we're in the wrong, God is in the right. So God desires this relationship, we're part of the problem of breaking that relationship, and let us never think that God's just a colleague on the journey, God is God and we're not, God is holy and we're not. We're called to be godly. We're not calling God to be humanly in this case. God desires to fix the problem. Desired it so much that he sent Jesus Christ. And so the work of Jesus Christ has fixed anything that needed to be fixed really from God's perspective on the one hand. So if you want to think of it as the, the ledger was out of balance, now it's squared up. It's put to right. It's set in place. But it's for us, then, who are on the broken side of the relationship to take hold of what's being offered to us to be reconciled to God. And there are many ways that Scripture gets at this, but you can think of it as an inheritance, which Scripture uses, is waiting for you. It's a massive inheritance that's out there in your name, ready for you, and combine that with the idea of Publishers Clearinghouse coming to your door with the giant check, with that inheritance, saying, it's here for you, now what are you going to do with it? This is going to be a life-altering, life-changing thing. Just take the check. That's what's being offered to us. 
And it's for us then to take hold of that if we're going to be reconciled with God. And the New Testament uses more often than not us then being in Christ. Sometimes we'll, we'll default to Christ being in me, but it uses more often, both are true, but more often Christ, us being in Christ as that language of reconciliation, that we're joining with that work that God's already done to be made right with Jesus Christ. That's what's happening here. And then you can see that, that where this takes it even further to understand God's heart is God didn't just want it to stop with you and me, but to continue on so that we can reconcile others to be in Jesus Christ. That's what's all playing out in this passage. And if it's done in relationship with Jesus Christ, with me with Jesus, you with Jesus, and with us with Jesus, it's probably going to be done with us with other people and Jesus as well. Relationship matters deeply as we answer the question, how do we prioritize who we make disciples? Because that's the call from Jesus, to go and make disciples. To go out and find people who are in the unsaved category and bring them into the being saved category so that they can be in Christ. How are we to make disciples then? How are we supposed to look at how we prioritize our mission? I want to just think through it this morning in uh, slightly athletic terms because disciple, discipline, those are actually athletic words. Um, And so the church, us, we're made up of disciples gathered by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to train like athletes in a spiritual sense to do our work. That's what we're on about when we gather together. That's what we're on about when we read God's word together, when we pray. We're actually training as disciples. So three thoughts I have in athletic terms as we think of how to prioritize who we make disciples. The first is this. As an athlete trains for competition, disciples train for reconciliation. And we will sometimes be imperfect at that, just like an athlete will be. We won't always get it right, but that's what we're training for. Reconciliation is actually defined for us very well in the text, if you go back to verse 17, which we've heard a few times this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here is is almost textbook what's supposed to happen in reconciliation. It's an exchange, one for the other. It's becoming a new thing. That's reconciliation. And it's done in relational terms with somebody else. But something new is changing inside of you in that relationship. And that relationship is transforming as well. And if we live that out as a people, the way that, we've got a, uh, the way that we're going to live that out is we must constantly be motivated by staying close to who we're called to reach. That's how we're going to continue to be motivated to make sure that, that our training is relevant and keeps moving. And of course, it's going to take some discovery, but the, the more we look around at who we're close to, the more we can live out our mission much better. Let me give you an example of what that would mean. Uh, Stephanie and I, my wife and I, have been uh, working for a while now to make sure that we are more physically fit than we used to be. Um, I, we weren't terrible, but we weren't great. And the reason is, Uh, One of our children needs help transitioning to and from wheelchairs and chairs and beds and all of that every day. And so we want to make sure that we are physically fit for the task to be the parents we're supposed to be to our children. 
We've watched other friends and connections uh, in the, the, those who parent, those with disabilities, physical disabilities, who sometimes are very physically fit, and we see what happens, and those who maybe aren't, and it, you can injure yourself quite easily, and then you're no good to anybody. We don't want that to be the case as long as we can make it happen. So constant motivation every morning or every day as you lift and move somebody it's right there. I need to be strong to do this. Even last week was one of the great moments for me as we stood here and worshiped together, and I held my daughter in my arms thinking, I'm glad I'm training to do this because I can do this longer now. The motivation is right there in my arms. That's what we got to do as God's people, right? Once we begin to discern who we're called to, we got to stay close to it and closer, and we might even discover more pathways as we do that, but living out our mission. And training in that mission requires a constant reminder of why we do the mission, being close to those we disciple, or recognizing in those close relationships who we could disciple, and training for those moments. Clarity of our purpose is only going to come when we're close to those relationships that matter. The second thing we can recognize about who we disciple and how we kind of go about that is that as athletes build muscle, disciples build virtue. And and I'm talking about that collectively, not just individually. As a church, as a church, we should look more like Jesus next Sunday than we did this Sunday. That doesn't mean we don't look like Jesus in some way this Sunday. What it means is our virtue as a people should be cumulative, constant, and obvious as we continue to go forward. We should constantly be building in that and who we are. And you can see that in reconciliation, that virtue is going to be built because you're being transformed into something new, and that should be happening to us as a people on a constant basis. Reconciliation seen in Scripture is is revealed in a number of different images. For those of you that are theology nerds, this is pushing into theories of the atonement, but we're not going to go that far into it. Um, But reconciliation gets used in monetary terms, uh, money terms in scripture, paying off something, a debt or something like that. So you can see that uh, in Jesus, he becomes a substitute for sin, as verse 21 states in 2 Corinthians, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. There's a swapping, a paying off, or whatever you want to say about that. This idea of reconciliation uh, gets used in terms of liberation, of freedom. Uh, It gets used in Scripture when talking about, let's say, a a slave or somebody who's been imprisoned, who's now been pardoned or manumitted or freed in some way. That's reconciliation. They've, They've transitioned, they've moved into something else, a new state of being from what they were before. Marriage is a strong way that it gets used in Scripture, the, that relationship of husband and wife. And in fact, it's, it's pretty strong uh, in the, the Greek in the way that that word is used in the ancient world, that the word used for reconciliation, actually, if you add an A in front of it, it means divorce. And if you add a different prefix in front of it, it means reconciliation, right? It's very strong and pronounced, built into the word. You're either together or you're not together. That's how it's, it's put together. And so you can see in these different images, you can see modern-day examples aren't too far off. Every week we get coupons in the mail. All of us do, right? Whether we want them or not, they come in the mail in a stack of papers or in an individual card because we went to a particular place and you signed up for the club or whatever. And that coupon is worth almost nothing on its own, right? 
like 0.001 cent or whatever it is, and you'd have to collect a lot of them if you could even turn them in somewhere and actually get that redeemed. Highly doubtful. But if you take it to the right place, it's worth something. But it's only worth something if you use it. A coupon's only good if used. Same with a pardon. Somebody who's imprisoned, somebody who's enslaved, a pardon is only good if they actually get freed, right? If they, it, it's not just words, but if it's actually happening, you actually got pardoned. Marriage really is only good in a, and marriage when the two become one and create and make a new creation. That's what it's designed to be. Reconciliation is the same thing. It's, it's something new is made in this transition. Something new is made in the taking away of the curse of sin and sin's effect on the person and putting them in the being saved category. And it's a movement towards God and godliness and virtue. And it's when we discover true life, life abundant. It's when the process of living into new life uh, it, it doesn't just it doesn't become complete until the end, but we start that process now. We are being reconciled. And so we need to build virtue in virtue as God's people. One of the implications of this, then, is because the work of, of that reconciliation and that virtue is not going to be complete in us in this life, because we want to do the best ministry that we've been called to, we need to be in the business of constant assessment of our mission and ministry so that we prioritize well what we're doing so we do our best ministry in the day of the Lord's favor, in the day of salvation, in this period of time when there actually people can be saved and begin to grasp onto that life abundant. The third thing I'd say is that as an athlete trains in their discipline, a disciple trains in local relationships. We have worldwide relationships. Those are important, but we need those local relationships because we're a local church. There's a persistent danger that churches deal with in that we can look across the country and we can see churches that do program X and it's very successful and churches succumb to this uh, on a regular basis of sort of this silver bullet idea that if we just put implement that one program or that set of programs, we'll grow, and it'll be huge, and great things will happen. And sometimes that happens, and sometimes it doesn't. But part of the reason that those will, will work is if they'll work, if they work in your local environment, they'll fail if they're not true to who you're called to be and what you're called to do, and the giftedness that you have. That doesn't mean you can't look around and see what other churches are doing and saying, oh, that one looks like it could work here. Great. That's great assessment. But we can't just think that because it worked anywhere, it'll work here. And let me, let's think through this just a little further. Training within our discipline, like an athlete, meaning training in our local relationships. Basketball teams don't train on ice skates. It's the truth, Right? They're not, I mean, maybe one or two do, I don't know. But generally speaking, they train on a basketball court. Maybe in a weight room, you've got to get in there too. But they're not training on ice skates. And golfers don't go around thinking, you know who we should recruit to our sport? Hockey players, right? I mean, there's a great movie about it, sure, but that's not the reality. 
they do what's in their discipline. They train for their discipline, for what they're designed to do and gifted to do. There are lots of local needs in our community. Tons and tons and tons of them. We can sit like we did this morning in Sunday school and try and uncover all kinds of different local needs, and we will. We can't do them all. We just can't do them all. We'll never be able to do them all. And sometimes we, we kind of have this belief that, that continues to persist. Every church has this, that if we just preach the gospel, we can give all things to all people. But we know we can't when you get down to it. And when you really get down to it, we know that we've already made decisions that are implicitly uh, put into place that show that we can't be all things to all people. Another example will serve here. I've been your pastor for over five years, and I can tell you that we are not really gifted and geared to reach out to biker gangs in Lincoln. I'm just going to say that's not our character. Maybe one or two of us could be geared for that, and certainly if a biker gang rolled up right now, I'd say let's be welcoming, let's give them the free gifts and the books and all that and make sure they come back next week. But that's not really our target audience, right, if we're clear about it. We're probably not gifted and geared for that. We never had a discussion about it, though, but I'm going to guess a lot of you agree with me. We've already made that implicit decision on how we look. We've already, in a sense, prioritized. So what we've been doing for the past week, past few weeks, is having a little bit more of that priority conversation to make sure we do know what we're called towards. We do know how our gifts work to reach out to those local connections and relationships we may either already have or we're gifted for and we haven't recognized yet. That's what we've been doing. And an athlete trains for their discipline, for the specific sport they play. We train for the local relationships we're gifted for and geared for and called to do. We've got to resist the urge to be all things to all people. And if I, I can just go one step further in saying why we should resist that urge, because Jesus didn't model that. Jesus came to reach the lost sheep of Israel. That doesn't mean the ministry didn't go further than that. But Jesus came very specifically to call Israel back to their mission to show the world who God is so that the world could be reached. Jesus came back and had a very tight vision. And every time he had interactions with Gentiles, they were very limited and they weren't interactions he was seeking out. He didn't ignore when people came that didn't fit, but that wasn't his vision. That wasn't the mission he was on about. And we need to live the same way if we're going to be like Christ. We use the team we have to reach the people God has gifted us to reach. And we continue and will continue to discern what that looks like every so often. We have to because there's an urgency about our task that we do the best ministry with what God has gifted us. I'm going to invite the band to come on up to the stage here. We'll close out in just a moment with our final song. But I want to give, before I give two thoughts on what this simply might look like for uh, our own responses, I just want to say that one of, the, one of the other dangers we can encounter when we talk about who are we gifted towards is I want to make sure that, that we're still talking collectively as God's people. A ton of us do a lot of good things individually and locally. And that's good, and we should keep doing that. But that might not be what we're called to collectively. As an example, when I uh, came uh, five years ago, a little over five years ago, um, we were kind of, we had some connection with some Yazidis in Lincoln. 
You know, it's an ethnic group, it's a religious group. And there was some interest within certain pockets of our congregation. I had interest at well. I explored with some of our missionaries who we've worked with. Okay, is this maybe something that God's calling me to work with? And I've gone to Yazidi events and gotten connected a little bit here and there. But I had to make sure that I disconnected in my own head. It doesn't seem like it's a corporate value, and that's not bad. But I can't make it a corporate value just because I want it to be, right? I can be connected, and we can be connected individually, but we also need to discern what our corporately, as a church, we're called to and make sure we have those clear distinctions in our mind because God has gifted us for specific ministries in this time. What does that look like? We've already been doing this first thing, but I hope we continue to do it too. We've got to continue to discuss our giftedness and continue to discern where God keeps calling us in the present time. We've done some great work on that. We have some good things going. I'm sure there's some good things in front of us, but we're not going to find those out. We're not going to be able to, to highlight the things we're doing unless we continue to discuss how God has gifted us as a people to live that out. And the second thing is, is simple and obvious, but we need to be quite committed to it, is to continue to pray for those local relationships that we either already have or that God has set before us that we don't know are coming so that we can recognize them when they come. This is how we prioritize who we seek to disciple, who we seek to save that's lost right now. Because Paul's words need to ring strong and true for us that now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There's an urgency to our task to do the best that God has called us to do. Let's pray together before we close in song. Lord, you've given us an inheritance that can never, never spoil, perish, or fade in your son, Jesus Christ. And some of us have grasped onto that and have taken hold of your son, Jesus, and some of us, we're not sure yet. God, may today be the day of your favor and of your salvation, and if you're sitting in the room, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, today is a great day to take hold of that salvation and that favor to move into the being saved category. To be reconciled to God, where otherwise you feel distant and broken. God, I pray today that as your people, we would train well in reconciliation, knowing that sometimes we fail, knowing that sometimes it doesn't work, but knowing that you're our strength. You're the reconciler going forward, even when we falter. God, I pray that we can be people of virtue through and through, not just individuals, but a church that's recognized as being virtuous and being like your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you continue to put before us those obvious relationships that connect with the giftedness you've given us, those obvious connection points where we can draw people into your presence to be in your son, Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to you. God, help us be more like your son as your people, to be the truly beautiful bride of Christ, united with you in this task. We pray this in your name. Amen.